0: Now, you, you may never have felt the way that David is feeling in this psalm, but one day you might. Now, how is David feeling in this psalm? Well, what would happen if you got that text message? You see the dots going because another message is about to come, but you've just got that text message from someone. What is going through your head? That's all they could, they, they, they wrote the word help and hit enter and that's it. Because that, they needed that message to get to you first. What are you thinking? It's a fraud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could be. If, what if it's from a well-known number? I think David was pretty in tune with God. I think he dialed God a few times in his life. I think da- God knew David's number as it came through, right? See, this is the funny thing. This, this, the very first word of this psalm is help. He just starts with help. Now, one day, you might not be feeling down today. I pray that you're feeling awesome today. I pray that you're going great. I pray that life is not smashing you, but you are kicking its butt. Okay? But one day, it won't be. One day, you'll be under the waves. One day, it will hurt. And maybe that day is today. I don't know. But when that day comes, if you haven't trained your heart and your head in how to respond in a good and godly way, you will have no idea how to do it. Because you get discombobulated, you get thrown around and you don't know what you're doing. And so tonight, if you aren't hurting, is the night to start training your mind and your heart in how to respond when you get hit for six and all of your instincts go awry. Okay? You know, when, when someone quite well-meaning starts quoting Bible verses at you and, and you're like, not now, <laughs> because it just hurts so bad. So now now's the not now night, hopefully for many of us, for some of you. Well, maybe there'll be some healing for you tonight if you are already there. So what, anyway, this, this poem starts with this moment, this, this, this heart-in-mouth moment, desperation plainly written on your screen, or in this case, in God, plainly written in David's prayer. And this is poetry. And so to hear God well, to listen well tonight, will require us not just to think but also to feel if we're going to listen to God properly tonight. You see, this is why David is reduced to just saying, help, because he can't find a human being who will tell him the truth. He stops and he thinks. He's like, hmm, anyone? Uh, nope, no, nope, no, nope. there is not a human being that I can think of who is faithful to their word. They have disappeared. I love the translation that you guys chose. They have disappeared from the human race. God, in my life, I can't see a single person I can trust. That's a, that's a place to go emotionally, right? Now, for many of us who have been blessed with really loving families, there's always been that sense of security there because no matter what happens, you know that they'll be there for you. you, you there is always just that backup. People you can trust will be on your side. Others of us can relate a little bit better to David. You see, see for David, this psalm could be about the time when his wife turns against him. Or it could be about the time when his own son, Absalom, throws a party for the whole royal family just so that he can get close enough to his brother to murder him. Or or later, of course, when Absalom, the same son, then leads the whole nation in revolt against his father and tries to have him killed. Or, Or it could be an earlier time when his boss, King Saul, asks him to come and to play his harp before throwing a spear at him, David just dodging it you thought your boss had some bad moods you ever had a spear thrown at you no you're fine stop whinging (laughs) just joking it's not true Um, or it could be the see it could be the time after that when his boss had apologised I'm sorry it'll never happen again I promise it'll never happen again you're safe and then he tries to kill him again and then says sorry and then tries to kill him again and again and again and maybe you can relate to one of these. Maybe, maybe your spouse or your father, your boss, your son, is there, is there someone for whom their words you can no longer trust, even if you, they're not lying as such, you can no longer trust that their words are actually going to describe reality? Have you ever been in that situation? I have. King David's not paranoid. Everyone is actually out to get him pretty much in his life. And all the talk of loyalty and respect that he's getting from his subjects here. Flattering lips. David's not trying to work out if if they're lying and flattering him. He knows he can't trust them. He's just trying to work out what they're up to. Help, Lord. The godly are no more. The the faithful have vanished from among among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor and their flattering lips speak with deception. It it would have been lonely for him at the top. Uh, And I love the, the Hebrew of this Phrase, they are smooth of lip. Smooth words, double-tongued. And, and you know what I, what I really love about the Psalms is, is they gives you permission to tell it like you see it. Do you see here, David's not mincing any words. Like if you take him literally, they're not flowery and nice and measured and, oh, well, I guess there are some good people. He tried to, like, this is not nice, pretty church prayer. This is blood and guts, and God wants to hear it. When you're hurting, this is the kind of prayer you get to pray to your God, and you, know, you, can, you can leave out the caveats and the, oh, but it's not quite that bad and, and all that stuff. You can call it like it is, like David does. Even if you're completely unjustified in what you're saying and you've gone off the handle, God can take it. Go to him and pray like this before you let before you let somebody else, you know, have it. Go to God with it first, like David did. Now, look, David seems to put a lot of a lot of um, uh, a lot of stock in words here. He says that words are kind of powerful. He 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 seems to let me just read a little bit. Um, it's it's this this boasting tongue and this triumphing with our tongues. We own our lips. Who is our master? That is actually doing the oppressing of the weak. Is but but a word's really that powerful? You see, this is this is the thing. I, I, I find that I can ignore words. I don't know. Have you got that capacity? Of just words you can ignore, like 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 if some crazy guy in the street starts swearing at me, I'm not going to go home and cry. Are words that powerful? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, I want you to notice, have you ever noticed that the more powerful a person is, the less that they work with their hands and the more they just tell other people to do stuff. <laughs> they work with their words, right? A project manager doesn't dig ditches. Benjamin hasn't eaten. Look at those hands. They're beautiful. They're violinist hands. They're not, you know, he's an he's out there. He's like, that crane, he hasn't operated that crane for however long. You see, when I get home, though, and I say, you know, someone really should rake up those leaves. Nothing happens. (laughs) There's no grunts, subbies underneath me going off and doing stuff. Unless I get off my chair, this is not going to happen, right? But if a CEO says, can I just get the uh, financials for the last 10 years? What? what, what? Yeah, now. Uh, Okay, yes, sir. That's different. The power of the words depends on the power of the person speaking them. And so when words are abused, who gets hurt? Well, verse 5 tells us, It's because of the oppression of the weak and the groaning of the needy that I will now arise, says God. You see, words are uh, the abuse of words is rife. And what's the, what's the thing that makes God get up? Not because, oh, lies are bad in principle. I don't like lies. But you know what lies do? They hurt the weak, and the needy. And so because of that, says God, I'm getting up. Because every person who's been hurt by a lie, I'm stepping up. You see, they say the first casualty of war is the truth, and the first casualty when the truth leaves town is the poor. People who can be taken in by words, who can be taken for a ride, or or maybe they see through the manipulation, but they, they just don't have the power to stand up to the lies, even if they know that they're false. Have you ever been in that situation? It's different when you're in power and when you're not in power. So David starts to get specific, right? David starts to get specific about what he wants to happen. He wants it all to stop. Okay, he's like this point in the prayer where he says, God, just don't let them do it. Cut off. I reckon David means this quite literally here is my guess. Their lips and their tongues. The instrument with which they are bringing so much destruction and so much pain, God, just take it away from them. They are boasting about their lies and how powerful their lying is making them. So God, help. Like, stop them from lying. Take away the words which let them get away with this stuff. And then we get God speaking in the psalm. But it's interesting what God does. Again, have the poem in front of you. This is a short thing. Have the Bible open in front of you, please, as I'm speaking. God doesn't cut off the words of the wicked here. He doesn't stop their tongues. Instead, God speaks. I will now arise, says the Lord, and I will place him in the safety for which he longs. He didn't give David the answer that David wanted, but he did speak to the true problem that David had. So, so God didn't stop the lies. But he did promise to give David the safety that he really needs, despite the lies. David's crying out, stop the lies, because that's what's undermining the security that he has in his day-to-day life. David's asking for, for, for drastic action. He wants lightning bolts. He wants intervention. He wants, he wants um, you know, a, a judgment, fire, brimstone. So you can be kind of, you can kind of forgive David for not being very excited about just getting more words do you ever feel that? like sometimes like, there's, there's a lot of words going on and, and you're just like, oh no, the last thing I want is more words. But strangely, David here has found a way to trust these words from God. In fact, in this journey David's taking us through, he, he's, he is unable to wax lyrical, literally, bad pun, uh, about their purity and goodness. God's purity and goodness in his words. It's because he knows that God's the only one that he can actually believe. He's the only one who's never let him down. The only one who, when he says, this is going to happen, it's going to do it. Always. Not just factually correct, but with spin to get what he wants out of you. Not just with most of the truth, but with a bit left out. Not just sort of, oh, here's the reason, and sure that was a reason, but really, these are the other real reasons why that happened. No, 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 I mean trustworthily true are the words of God to you, says David. I love his description of God's words. He says, "...the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times." I don't know if you've ever done anything seven times. Seven times repetition is a lot. Um, But do you hear what he's saying? This is complete purity. There is no subterfuge in God. Like what you read here, he's not having a lend of you. It's not sort of true-ish. It's not trying to get you to do what he wants you to do. This is just how it is. If you're reading something that God has said, it must be true. And David trusts that these words will be effective. Now, we thought earlier about how powerful people have powerful words. So, so I'd be expecting David here to start talking about how, you know, God spoke and then the world sprang into existence. You know, the power of God's word. But he doesn't. In fact, that's actually nowhere in the psalm. Oh, goodness, Mike. don't know what happened there, but oh, there we go. What David keeps on harping on about is that God will do what he said that he will do. What he wants you to realize is that God is not like any person who has ever lied to you. He's the opposite of that. His word provides security. It's not the kind of thing that takes away security because you can't rely on it. The simple fact that God spoke the truth, by that very act, he's actually restoring some of David's security. Have you ever felt like that? I don't know if you've ever been... The experience of being gaslit is a horrible thing. Where, someone tells, where you say something and they'll, someone says, no, it's not like that, and completely take, takes away your, your, your sense of having a grip on reality, what God's Word does is it gives you that back, a safe place to stand, something that's true, a word of Security. And so what this means is that David now has an anchor, even though he's, he's in the midst of a sea of lies. He is, a, he is a lone CEO with everyone wanting his job. He is the king. Many people trying to assassinate him, not just theoretically, actually. And yet now, all of a sudden, David's got something that is an anchor, a rope to hold onto in the middle of the sea of lies. See, David doesn't say, oh, I trust God's word because I know you're so big and powerful, though of course God is. I can trust him because he always tells me what's true. So if God says he'll bring safety, he'll bring safety. Have a look at verses 5 to 7 again. Because of the impression of the weak and the groaning of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who align them. And the words of the Lord are flawless like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. O oh Lord, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. David trusts God because he always tells the truth. Isn't that just such a nice and fitting way of dealing with, of 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 Answering a plea for help to be rescued from lies. Just telling truth. Now, what is this poem here for? Why Why did God include this in the Bible? What's it meant to do for us? What's it meant to do to us? Well, it's meant to help us to know, number one, that we can trust God's words. See with with people, I think I have a hard time believing people. I don't know. Are you suspicious? Are you sus? Are you like it's pretty hard to to trust people sometimes. Even even your friends, and I don't mean whether they're lying to you, but like even some of my good friends, right? Like like I've got some people from friends who are really good friends. I like them, but they tell me I'll be there, and I'm like, oh yeah, cool. (laughs) Um, They say "I, I love your hair. Do they? Eve, I do trust you. Wherever you are, Eve, you said you "You like my haircut. I do trust you. But like other people, no, right? Not necessarily. When they say, it's going to be great, you should come. Will it? Will it really? (laughs) See, in one sense, it it, it doesn't matter whether they sincerely believed that that thing was true, whether they planned to strive to try and make it come true. The question is, is it true? Did what they say would happen actually happen? You see, if you think about it, we're so used to dealing in untruth or unreliable truth, it's actually hard for us to fathom reliable truth and to trust it. See, that's not the kind of true that we're talking about with God. It's not just good intentions true. It's not just, I'm going to give it my best shot true. It's the Bible said it's going to happen true. Look, um... One of, the, one of the, the weirdest and most difficult promises, most unlikely promises that God made is just one page over in most Bibles. It's in Psalm 16. It says, You will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see decay. Exactly that's what I said. What? Um, it, it, dead people stay dead. And yet here he says, You will not abandon me to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Someone's going to come back from the dead. Peter could reflect back on that promise at Pentecost, on the day when he first started preaching the gospel. Jesus' follower saying, Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath, with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Witnesses. You see, the tomb is empty. No one's ever found Jesus' bones. They won't. That ridiculous promise in Psalm 16, that doesn't sound true at all, What's true. It came true. So as you read through your Bible this week, take those words as comfort. You might not know anything else is true in the world in life, But you know what you just read then in that bit of the Bible is? Stand on it. Like it's a firm bit of ground in a sea of lies. You can trust the promises that God makes. Now, the very fact that God didn't answer David in quite the way that David wanted him to tells us that God's not necessarily going to give us exactly what we think that he should. I mean, even the end of the psalm is not an end to all lies. Do you see that there in verse 8? The wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honoured among men. David's still in the mark at the end of the psalm. It's a guarantee of safety despite the lies. That's what God gives. Not a calming of the storm, but a vessel within it. He's not going to answer every prayer how we want him to. But the words that he speaks to us are true things we can anchor our lives on. So... When we say you can trust God's word, the thing is this, is, this is the impossible application, right? This is the thing not to go home thinking. God is just a souped up, more powerful version of me. Just a really nice guy with some superpowers. No, 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 no. Doesn't work like we do. His word is proper true. We can rely on it. Right, secondly, secondly, what's this poem in the Bible for? Well, we're actually meant to see the evil of deceit. <laughs> We're meant, to, we're meant to be a bit horrified by it, right? You're meant to, meant to, to, to see how alone lies has made David and how it destroys and, 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 and oppresses those who are less advantaged. Always lies hurts the, the least powerful the most. And so because of that, because we're meant to feel that, in this moment now where you're feeling just how ugly and destructive lies and deceit are, can I say to you, don't flatter anyone. If you don't want to encourage someone, do it with the truth. There's plenty of plenty of good truth to be had. Don't be falsely humble. Oh, I'm not very good at that. If that's not true, don't say it. If God made you very good at something, don't try and look humble by not giving God the glory for how he made you. It's a lie. Stop doing it. Stop making a habit of of having my words not match reality. Don't tell a lie to get out of trouble. Admit the fault. Life is a lot freer when you start living the truth. One lie and then you spend the rest of your mental energy covering, covering, covering. What did I have to say again? What's my story again? It's a slavery for you and everyone else around you. Recommit to the truth this moment. Look, I know I've said that, you know, I've heard it said, sorry, that the, uh, the truth hurts. Um, telling someone, you know, like it is, isn't always the best option. Truth doesn't hurt, lies hurt. You want to create a cycle of deception, of niceness, niceties, flattery, unfaithfulness, that causes pain. I think that's what Psalm 12 is getting at. Lies inherently take advantage of people. Why are you... If if you need to tell a lie, you've got to ask why. And what advantage are you getting out of it? All right. The evil of lies. Number three. Third reason that this poem is here in the Bible is we are just meant to be able to relate to this. I mean, just about all of us have been hurt by a lie at some point by the deception of flattery or simply by the fact that lies exist. And so even when someone says, I love you, when God says, I love you, when God says, just call on my name and I will save you, that you can't feel like you can't trust it. We've all been hurt by the fact that that's our culture. This psalm is here so that we know that there is someone else out there who has been through what we have been through. If you're hurting from lies, you feel like there's no one you can trust and you're all alone, I want you to know Jesus Christ is very, very at home with you. He has been there. He knows how it is. In fact, David, who could write words like this about such a dark place, he is our picture for Jesus for, for, for our God. His his life was an insecure space of lies, and then you see Jesus, the great David, uh, the great king, great king David's greatest son. He he walked the same path. He was the king who was betrayed by every one of his subjects. He knows what it's like to be surrounded by lies. How. It, have you ever been falsely accused? And then had the whole church stand up and say, yeah, you're in the wrong and this person's in the right. That's what happened to Jesus. That's what the religious council did. Pronounced him the guilty party in front of everyone. Church discipline on Jesus. He knows what it's like to feel betrayed. He's had people tell a completely different narrative that makes him seem crazy. And everyone, have everyone believe it. But it wasn't true. You feel that unfairness when someone tells something about you that's not true? Through all of that, what did Jesus do? 1 Peter 2, 23. When he was maligned, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He went to the one whose judgment, whose words he knew were going to be true, and said, I'll trust you. I'll trust that you can raise me from the dead. I'll trust you that you on the last day won't throw me under the bus and say, yeah, actually, it was was all on you, but will actually vindicate me and raise me to heaven. So look, if, if if you're there now, or maybe you're just training yourself now for the day when you're there, and lies have hurt you, don't think that you're alone. Don't stop trusting everyone. Because there's a trustworthy one. Call out to God. There is someone you can confide in. If you want refuge from lies, he's the place to go. Pray this kind of prayer. Pray Literally pray this prayer. Grab the psalm out and read it and scream it out to, a, to, a, to, to God on a hillside somewhere. He will hear you. But not only that, he will make you safe. Don't necessarily deliver you from the lies as quick as you want, but he will make you safe. See, verse 7 was no lie when God promises that. In Zephaniah 3.13, he says the same thing in this way. In heaven on that last day, when I finished clearing out the dross from my kingdom, the people there, they won't do any wrong. They won't tell any lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. And so therefore they will eat and lie down and no one will make them afraid again. Have people's words ever made you feel all those negative things? That won't, hap- that won't happen in heaven. You'll never feel that way again. Just as we finish up, um, I don't know if you can relate to David. I mean, are you looking for a way out of a world of lies, maybe? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're looking out of a, way, a little world of lies that are actually your own lies. Maybe you've never come clean from your own. You can go to him, you can go to God with that. Why don't you go to a brother or sister with that? Come clean from all your own lies. Or maybe it's other people's. Maybe other people have been holding you to ransom and their, their narrative for you, their untrue words are crushing you down. Go to Jesus. He's the one you've got to do business with. Jesus is the truth-telling God in human skin come to this earth. He's a bloke you want to get to know, come clean with. If you've never done that before, read a gospel, get to know this guy. He's the, he is the truth and he is trustworthy. Now, but, and before he comes back, this world will still have lies in it. But God has said he will protect anyone who comes to him until he comes back. And on that day, there will be no more lies. And he said it, so it'll happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for, for David not being on his own in his pain, but, but, but screaming it out to you in this psalm so that we could be with him in it and therefore with you, Jesus, our great King in it, the one who walked this path for us, walked the path of pain. Father, we just ask that you would help us to trust you. Help us to go to you, to rely on you, to, 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 to go to your promises and rest in them to live off them to trust your words to treat them with seriousness because there's not an ounce and a shade of untruth to them and lord we do ask and you'd forgive us our lies lord that you would purify our lips cleanse us from untruth and we pray lord that the little ones wouldn't get hurt in our church, please, not anymore, because our lips have been changed by you. So we speak the truth, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.